And so we're going to be in Genesis chapter 42. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 42, and then we're going to cover all the way through 4516. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one. The chairs around you will be on page 35. And with that, we're going to bring up Chad to read, um, Chad Barlow. And with Chad Barlow coming up, um, we got some exciting news regarding Chad. Um, as you guys know, if you've been with us at The Crossing, we, we have internships here, pastoral internships, people uh, that may have feel called to the ministry. We have a, a two-year or so process in which we bring individuals through. Uh, Daniel Smith was a part of that. Matt Whitney was a part of that. They both are pastors. Brandon Dupre just got done with one, and he has a passion for future ministry. Well, Chad has that passion. He's currently in what we call Pastors Leader Institute. That's something that I help lead with a uh, a couple other pastors in our network here. Uh, we meet three times a month on Tuesdays. And he, so Chad meets with about 11 other guys, and we go through all kinds of stuff, a pretty intensive three-hour-plus session where they got to do a lot of reading, a lot of answering questions, and a lot of memorization. So Lord willing, in January, uh, Chad is uh, raising support to become uh, an intern here to do it full-time. And our desire for that is for him and Audrey, as they get trained up in the next uh, year to two years, to send them out with another church plant. And so you guys can be praying for Chad. He's taking a step of faith and uh, leaving a paid vocation. Uh, and that's kind of part of the history of all the cro- uh, of the crossing. Every single pastor that has been a part of the crossing has had to raise support at some level. That's just how the Lord has orchestrated it. And so um, we're going to support him uh, from the church with a little gift. Uh, I'm working on some other outside resources, Lord willing, to help him out. But you also can support him. Um, above and beyond what you're giving to the crossing. So we encourage that. So with that, Chad is going to read uh, Genesis chapter 45. He's going to read the ending of this, Genesis 45, 1 through 15. 15. So please stand as we honor God's word. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud, so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive for you for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me and you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. 
Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, in particular, thank you for this incredible, incredible story that many of us might be familiar with, and some of us might not be. Lord, the story of Joseph. Lord, and so I just pray that for those of us that are familiar and for those of us that uh, this is a new story, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the principle of forgiveness. Lord, this is an incredible attribute of you towards us. This is an incredible characteristic of the Christian faith, the, 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 the characteristic of forgiveness. Lord, may we be a people of forgiveness. I was just singing that song, Our sins are many, yet your mercy is more. That is what forgiveness is about. You forgiving us of our many sins because you sent your son Jesus to pay for them. His life, his death, and his resurrection. Amen. You guys go ahead and have a seat. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is a a topic that has swept over our country in the last month or so um, because of a young man named Brant John, whose brother was shot to death by Amber Geyer. Many of us have seen this story uh, on the news and have seen his testimony. And and at the end of her sentence, uh, this younger brother got to stand up and address his brother's murderer. And he said this, if you are truly sorry, sorry, I know I can speak for myself. And he says, I forgive you. I forgive you. He also asked if he could give her a hug. And his main desire, he said in this, that, he, that she would give her life to Jesus. This is an incredible act of forgiveness, empowered, fueled by Jesus. And this morning we read about another incredible act of forgiveness, fueled and empowered by the Lord God, the, the forgiveness of Joseph towards his brothers, the ones that hated him, that were jealous of him, and sold him into slavery. As we've been going through the book of Genesis, we know that the word Genesis means beginnings, and we've seen a lot of firsts, a lot of beginnings in the book of Genesis, and here we see another one, another book, uh, a beginning of forgiveness. The, the forgiveness that we read about here in Joseph's story is a forgiveness that is fueled by the faithfulness of the Lord. That's what's at the heart of this passage in Genesis 42 through 45. It's, it's forgiveness that is fueled by the faithfulness of the Lord God in Joseph's life. And just as the Lord was faithful in Joseph's life and bringing him through the, the valleys and the peaks, he's also faithful in our lives this morning. Again, Genesis 42 and 45 is generally seen as one story. That's why we're covering it all together. And really, it's the climax. It's the pinnacle. It's the the Mount Everest of Joseph's story in life. This climax comes to him forgiving his brothers. This is one of the most intense, passion-filled, drama-filled stories in all of Scripture. And and it will take you, uh, take me and our emotions on a roller coaster ride you get a chance, read all of Genesis 42 through 45 this past week and just watch your emotions go up and down, anger and joy. They, they will all cover your emotions. And if you don't, and if, you, and if you're not moved in your heart and your soul, then you probably need to check your pulse. It's an incredible, incredible story. 
Now, since we're covering so many chapters, we're going to cover a little bit different. I'm going to kind of go over the whole story uh, through it, uh, through a series of three tests. That's going to be our outline, through the series of three tests that Joseph gives his brother with minimal commentary. And in the end, just really highlight the overarching principle of this section, which you've already guessed is forgiveness. So that's how we're going to cover it this morning. So the first thing we see is test number one. Test number one in Genesis 42 through 43, verse 25. And it's the test of honesty. The test of honesty. Uh, the Genesis 41 tells us that uh, there's a famine in the land. Uh, the, the, the scripture, the prophecy was fulfilled. The dream was fulfilled that Pharaoh had that Joseph interpreted. There's a famine in the land. And not just in the land, but all the land. In particular, it, it's hitting Egypt. Which means if, if a famine is hitting Egypt, then the rest of the the surrounding areas are in dire, dire straits because Egypt, the, the Nile Delta, was one of the most fertile farming lands that would sustain the, 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 the world with its food population and the ability to farm there. So if Egypt was in a severe drought and the Nile was not producing, then again, those in Canaan, Jacob and his crew, were really hurting. And that brings us to Genesis 42, verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, again, because of Joseph interpreting the dream and executing the dream of storing up the grain for seven years, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I have heard there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy the grain for us there that we may not die. Verse 3, so 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain with Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin Joseph's brother with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Now, don't you love Jacob? I love Jacob right here. Jacob is an old, old man. He's well advanced in years. And he's sitting around and he calls out his sons. Even though he's well advanced in years, he's still got a little fire in the belly. He says, why are you guys sitting here looking at each other while we're starving? Get up and, and be a man and go provide for your family. The boys here are not teenage boys anymore. They're probably 40 to 50 plus years old. All of them. And so Jacob says, man, let's go get up and get after it. Verse 6. Now Joseph was governor over all the land. He was the one who sold um, to all the people of the land. So by this time, as we know, that Joseph is now second in command behind Pharaoh. He's kind of the prime minister of Egypt. And um, since Genesis 37, we have seen his life evolve and, and travel much terrain. He has gone from the place of the favorite son of Jacob to the pit. He went from the pit to Pharaoh's house. He went from Pharaoh's house to prison. And he went to prison to the palace. And that's where we see him now. He's in the palace, the second most powerful man in the world. He lives in a nice house, probably has a nice four-camel garage. And he has the keys to the Egyptian kingdom. And now we see he's solely, he is solely responsible for passing out the grain. Nobody else. Joseph is solely responsible for passing out all the grain to all the people coming to him. And here again, we see God's invisible hand of providence orchestrating this event for Joseph to hint for what he's going to encounter next. We see this at the end of verse 6b. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. And Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them and treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, we come from the land of Canaan to buy food. And we need to stop and, and just put yourself in that situation. Can you imagine the emotion that went through Joseph when he saw his brothers? 
He passed out the one grain to the family before him. He looked up, and there they were. Could you imagine the emotion that flooded Joseph's heart? And I said, I bet you can. And I bet you have felt that. Exactly what Joseph felt. Some of you maybe even felt it this past week. Let me just put it in a situation that um, maybe you are sitting in a, in a coffee shop this past week. You're enjoying your cup of joe. And then all of a sudden, that person that sinned against you two years ago comes in that you never reconciled with. That person that harmed you, that, that hurts you, comes in. You see them. You make eye contact. What happens to you physically? What starts to boil? Does your emotional meter just go from zero to a hundred in, in, in a nanosecond? Raise your hand if you felt this before. We all have. This is what Joseph is feeling. He sees his brothers. And what are they doing? They are bowing to him. Joseph recognizes his brothers, but it says they did not recognize him. Well, how's that? How can they not recognize jo- Joseph? I mean, he was 17 years old when he sold him into slavery. Well, about 21 to 22 years have passed since they've seen each other, since they sold him into slavery. Joseph's not 17, but he's probably 38, 39 years old. He's not speaking Hebrew. He's speaking fluid Egyptian, probably through an interpreter, as we'll see later on. He's dressed in royal clothes, and he has some kind of big headdress on um, that, that they wore. He's clean-shaven, but the royalty and, and those that were in um, higher standing in Egypt had uh, these fake goatees that they would, they would wear. Even though they could grow real ones, they, they, they took animals' hair and stuff, and they just plastered on their, their chin for some reason. So he had this fake goatee on. And even the women would do that. Uh, they were the, 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 in royalty. Um, just a weird deal. Anyways, and then, yeah, and then he had makeup on his eyes. So they didn't recognize him. But again, Joseph, the initial reaction, seeing his brother's face down on the ground before him, he remembers, he remembers his dream. Maybe something he hasn't thought about for 20 plus years until he sees his brothers prostrate before them. This is the dream that he remembered in verse, uh, Genesis 37 that he had that he told his brothers, and it's fulfilled almost because we're still missing one brother. But again, here we see the beginning of the first test, and this will be the longest of the three. And he wants to test to see if these are honest men. His brothers have grown in honesty. Joseph says to him, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are just sons of one man. We're not, we're not spies. We're just a family unit. We are honest men, they said. Your servants have never been spies. Could you imagine when Joseph heard them say, we are honest men, what he must have, what must have happened to him? Maybe threw up in his mouth a little bit, right? Maybe choked. Maybe almost laughed. Honest men, really? But he calls them again spies. And he says, you're here looking to raid the land and, and take advantage of uh, those that are in a desperate time. And this would be a natural suspicion during the day, during the famine. Raiders and, and armies would look to see what, which nations were weak because of famine. They would come and disguise themselves as beggars looking for food. And what they would do is they would overtake and rob the people. So this is not out of the norm. So when Joseph says he wants a testament, verse 15, he wants to see what their true motives are. Joseph eventually comes up with this plan to keep one of the brothers and send the rest of them back with sacks of food with one condition. And this is key in this test. The one condition is that they come back and they bring their youngest brother, Benjamin, with them. His blood brother. 
Remember, Benjamin and Joseph came from his mother, Rachel. Jacob had a couple other wives as well, three other wives, in fact. And so um, he, wanted his blood, he wanted his blood brother to come and see him. His other brothers were brothers from another mother. And so he wanted to see his true brother from Rachel. And they agreed. But notice, before they agreed, Joseph, uh, before they left Joseph's presence, they had a conviction of guilt that just flooded their souls. Verse 21, Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. And now we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. Right now here we have a little bit more detail than what happened in Genesis 37. In 37 it just says they seized him and they threw him in the pit. And then it says what? They sat down and ate lunch. Do you remember that? Well, here we get more insight to what is going on. Joseph was hurting. He was crying out. His soul was in distress. He was begging his brothers to get him out of the pit. This is why this distress has come upon us. Verse 22, and Reuben answered him, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. And but, verse 23, they did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Now, why all of a sudden this? Why all of a sudden does this pop up in their minds? That all of a sudden they think about Joseph 20 plus years later trying to get grain. Well, because it probably was the, the first time in 20 plus years that they recounted the story of Joseph. This is the first time in 20 years that they spoke the words, and one son is not with us any longer. And when those words were spoken, they were cut to the quick, and they were reminded of the evil that they did to their brother Joseph. So Joseph sends them on their way with the grain, and on their way, one stopped, and on their way home to Canaan, they stop, and one of the brothers opens the bag, and he finds his money in there. In fact, there was money in all the bags. The money they were supposed to use to leave there to pay for the grain was now in their bags, and they freak out because they knew that the Lord God was on their heels for what they did to Joseph. They freak out because of, one, God on their heels, but also, two, is like this will prove that we are spies and we are thieves, that we took the money with the grain if they find out. Well, eventually they make it to Canaan, verses 29 through 35. Uh, uh, Jacob's sons tell Jacob all that happened. And then verse 36, we look at Jacob's response, and and Jacob flips out. He he just, he has a woe woe is me mentality. He says there's no way that he's going to send his son Benjamin. He already lost Joseph, and Simeon is there in prison with, with Joseph now. He says, I'm not going to lose another son. He says, everything is against me. There's, there's no way I'm sending Benjamin back. See, Jacob is still hurting and bitter for what happened to him with Joseph. He can't get over it. We even see in verse 38, he says, I'm not sending Benjamin back. My only son left. Wait a second, you got, you got 10 more besides him and Joseph. What, what do you mean the only son left? You can see that he's still grieving over the son. And he's not willing to risk another, his favorite son, Benjamin, a second time. And what he sees, he said again, he says he's just, this, everything is working against him, working against his good. And what we're going to see next week, we're going to look at this next week, it may seem to Jacob that everything is going against him. But again, it's the hidden providence of God is not, The Lord's not working everything against him. He's actually working everything for him. But Jacob can't see that in this situation right now. 
So he says, no way am I sending. You guys are staying here. We're not, we're not, not sending you back. But then Genesis 43, we see the famine is still going on. There's, they run through their food. And Jacob, again, is still being stubborn until Judah steps up. Judah steps up. This is the first time he steps up. He'll step up again big time in 44. But Judah steps up and talks some sense into his elderly father. And he says this, if we, if, if we don't go back with Benjamin... And just to go back to get food, we're not going to see Joseph's face because Joseph says, you won't see my face unless Benjamin is with you. So if we go back without Benjamin, we're not going to get to see Joseph. In fact, he'll probably arrest us for proving that we are spies and we weren't honest men. The key is for us to bring Benjamin back. And if we don't do that, then everyone will surely die. In Genesis 43, 11, we see wisdom prevails. Jacob now Notice the name change to now from Jacob to his covenant name, Israel, agrees to send Benjamin with them. But he also sends him not empty-handed, but with extra gifts. And these are gifts of honor and respect to pay to Joseph. And notice the, the man. That's how Joseph is known as the man, the man. And we see that Jacob still has a little, you know, shake hands and kiss babies in him, right? Because he sends these gifts. He knows the game and he plays the game accordingly. Well, the boys take the gifts, take Benjamin, and all the brothers go back to Egypt, and they arrive there in, verse, in chapter 43. And in verse 16, Joseph sees that Benjamin is with the brothers. So he decides to throw a big lunch party. And what we see here is they've passed the first test. They prove to be honest men and not spies by bringing back their younger brother, Benjamin. That takes us to test number two, the test of jealousy, the test of jealousy. Genesis 43, 26 through 34. Now, this is a shorter test. Again, they they come back. Joseph sees him, tells his servants, hey, grab those guys, take them back to my house. I got some work to do, so I'm going to go do some work and get them settled. Well, they do that, and so, you know, they're not with Joseph right away, and all of a sudden, his brother's feeling guilty to talking to Joseph's servant, say, hey, hey, this money was found in our bags, we're bringing it back, here are some gifts, we didn't mean to steal it, blah, 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 and then the servant said, hey, man, this is a summary, of course, you guys are good, and he says something, he says, your God provided for you, your God blessed you, and they're like, what? How is that possible? Then Joseph is done, finished with whatever, and we see in Genesis 43, verse 26, Joseph comes in. And it says, when Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the presents that they had with them and bowed down to him on the ground. Here we see Genesis 37 fully fulfilled because all the brothers are with him bowing down before Joseph. And he says, this is your brother Benjamin. And he sees Benjamin. And he says, it's been 20 years. It's 20 years since he's seen his, his youngest brother or his, his brother. He's overcome with emotion. He's overcome with compassion. He's overcome with love, and he weeps. This is the first time in three, he'll read three times in this section. This is the first time. He weeps with seeing his brother. He, I'm sure he's flooded with the guilt of, of, of just all the years that he's missed watching Benjamin grow up, you know, throwing a ball, playing catch, you know, taking him to, I don't know, the cow pasture and having cow pie fights. I don't know, whatever they did back then, right? They missed all that time growing up and sharing experiences together. And he's, saying, and, he's, and he's just filled with compassion. But also, not only do we see that the Lord was doing a work in Joseph's brothers, the, the Lord was doing a work in Joseph during this time. He's softening, softening his heart towards his brothers. 
This is what the Lord is doing in Joseph, preparing his heart to forgive. And so they do sit down, and Joseph sits them down accordingly from the firstborn, the oldest, to the youngest, in order, around. And they look up, and they, they see that this has happened, and they're amazed by it. And here comes the second test, the test of jealousy, verse 34. Look at it. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was what? Five times more. Five times more. Joseph blesses Benjamin. So he's thinking, this is the test. How how are my brothers going to respond right now? How are they going to be respond to me showing Benjamin favoritism? Just the way my father showed me. Uh, the, the, the favoritism, when, when, when Jacob showed favoritism to Joseph, what was their response? Hatred, anger, jealousy. He's doing the exact same thing. Here in this context, Reuben should have got the, the blessing, the five extra portions, because he was the oldest, but Joseph is testing him, gives it to Benjamin, shows favoritism. How's it, how are they going to respond? Has the Lord worked on their hearts? Have they changed? Or will they respond in anger? We see in verse 34b, the answer. And they drank, and what? They were merry with him. They celebrated. They rejoiced. They didn't care that Benjamin had five times more than them. They're like Mary. They, they, they passed the test. They were filled with gratitude and happiness. They celebrated. Even with Benny getting the extra portions, they were happy. There was no hatred. There was no jealousy from the brothers as there was with Joseph. Joseph sees this. And again, it's working on Joseph's heart. They have grown. They have matured. They have passed test number two. And that brings us to the final test, the test of love. The test of love. Genesis 44 through 45, 16. Verse 1. Then he, Joseph, commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sack with food as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, with his money for the grain. And they did as Joseph told them. So we see here that Joseph, again, comes up with another plan to test his brothers takes his cup that Joseph was drinking out and puts it into the youngest brother, Benjamin's sack. The brothers go off, all happy and filled, and married. They're thinking, man, we're awesome. We got grain. We got Benjamin. We got blood. Man, 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 dad's going to be so happy with us. And then a short while later, they're stopped by one of Joseph's stewards, and they accuse them of stealing from Joseph. And they they, they flip out, and rightly so. They're like, what are you talking about, man? I mean, we, we brought back the extra money. We brought back the gifts. No way are we going to steal now. No way. And then in verse 44, 9, it says this. Whichever of your ser- they say, they say, whichever of your servants is found with it shall die. And we also will be the Lord's servants. You see, James chapter 4, uh, chapter I mean, chapter 1 was not, they, it wasn't written yet, so they didn't have it on their heart where it says, be slow to speak, right? Be quick to hear and slow to speak. This is one of those times to be quick to hear and slow to speak, but they did the opposite. They were quick to speak and slow to hear. Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die. And we also 
will be the Lord's servants. So one by one, they started with the oldest. They started taking down the sacks to check their bags, and it was clean, it was clean. Then it came to Benjamin. And what did they find? The cup. Joseph's cup in Benjamin's bag, and the brothers tear their clothes because they understood what they just did. Tearing their clothes is a sign of major distress and mourning. And they, they, the, the, the servants take them back to Joseph, and he sees them again. And again, they all bow down before Joseph, and, and Joseph confronts them in verse 14. And then Judah, Judah steps up a second time. And again, I hope you guys are, are resonating with Judah, especially here, because we have seen the Lord change Judah's heart right before our eyes. We, we, we've seen someone cross over from death to life. From Genesis chapter 38, when we, we saw Judah, he was, he was a rebel. He ran from his clan and, and, and settled in the land and married foreign women, which was sinful. He was involved in sexual immorality. And then 20 years later, Jacob comes from a, an immoral man to a moral man, a man who lacked character to now who a man has character. We've seen this transformation happen right before our eyes, and, and, and Judah steps up. And here's the point. Um, the Lord must do a work in you, must save you, must do a work in you before he does a work through you. This is what we see happen with Judah, and the Lord is about to do an incredible work through Judah. Verses 16 through 34, or 18 through 34 is the long, longest monologue in the book of Genesis. And some say it's one of the most beautifully written passages of Scripture in all, in all the Bible. One said this, quote, this is one of the most heartwarming, touching, intercessory speeches in all of literature. In fact, Sir Walter Scott, one of the great Scottish poets and novelists, said this, said that in all of literature, this section of Scripture is one of the most beautiful examples of natural eloquence to be found anywhere. It is beautiful. And let me just give you the summary. The summary is this Judah's plea for his father and for his brothers, Benjamin. He he recounts and summarizes the conversation with Joseph and his father. And, and this is the end. He says to Joseph, if Benjamin doesn't come back to my father Jacob, my father's going to die. His heart's going to be broken. Verse 30 says, as his life is bound up in the boys. He says he's already lost one son. And he cannot, Judah cannot allow this to happen to his father again or his younger brother. He can't allow him to go through this a second time. Judah steps up. Judah loves his father. He loves his brother so much that he asks Joseph to take him instead. He's willing to give up his life in exchange for Benjamin. He wants to be Benjamin's substitute. This points us forward to Jesus. This is the first time that we see in the book of Genesis that an individual willingly gives up his life for another individual to be his substitute. Again, this points us to the greater substitute, the substitute of Jesus for us. As you guys recall, way back in Genesis 22, we had um, Isaac being sacrificed and a substitute when from Abraham that the Lord provided was a lamb, was an animal. But here, it's, a, it's an individual, a man for another man. And again, that points us forward to show us the, the thread that, that, will be dis, that will be described throughout Scripture until it gets to Jesus, that Jesus would be the substitute for all humanity. 
Remember, it was Judah's idea to sell Joseph into slavery. It was Judah's idea. He's the one saying, hey, let's not kill him. Let's sell him. Let's throw him in the pit and throw him. But now here he's saying he's offering up his life for his younger brother. He is not selfish. He is selfless. He doesn't want to make money. He wants to save his father's heart and his brother's life. So what we see here is an incredible act of Judah, incredible act of love for his father and for his brother. He willingly gives his life up to be a substitute. What we see here is test number three is passed. Test number three is passed. Hatred and selfishness no longer rule the brothers' hearts. But love and sacrificial substitution do for his father and for Benjamin. Joseph is is listening to his brother. And he he remembers remembers his brother say, "Let's, let's sell him, let's throw him in the pit. And now he sees his brother standing in the gap for his father and for his younger brother. Chapter 45, verse 1. Joseph can't hold it together anymore. He loses it. He kicks all everyone out of the room except for his brothers. And he absolutely loses it. This is not like, you know, little sniffles. This is like wailing and mourning and mourning that the whole house of Pharaoh hears Joseph. Again, can you imagine his brothers just sitting there going like, oh my gosh, what happened? You know, this guy's losing it right in front of us, you know. Can you imagine that? It's like, whoa, 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 what's happening right now? They're just standing there freaking out because here was this man that was a picture of strength. And now all of a sudden he's weeping like a baby. Well, Joseph gets himself back together. And then we have those three famous words. He tells his brothers, looks him in the eye, he says, I am Joseph. Pin drop, just like here. I am Joseph. It says, but his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. You think, right? No kidding, of course they were. I am Joseph. What an incredible scene. And then in Genesis 45, 4 through 15, we see Joseph extend forgiveness on the basis of the faithfulness of God. Look at verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. It's an incredible statement, right? Again, Joseph, the prime minister, there would be like a barrier between, you know, Joseph and, and all the other common people. And what Joseph is saying, he's putting himself down on his level. Come near to me. Come into my presence. He's taking away the barriers. Come to me. Look some eye to eye. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God has sent me before you to preserve life. Then when you drop around, drop down all the way to verse 15, and it says, And he kissed all of his brothers and wept upon them. And then this little phrase, After that, his brothers talked with him. You're like, well, after that, his brothers talked to him. He had this big emotional scene. And all of a sudden, after that, his brothers talked to him. This is an incredible statement. Why? Because if you go all the way back to Genesis 37, when the brothers, when Joseph was playing the fair, you know, the favorite one running around that, that, that multicolored robe, his brothers hated him and it said they could not speak peaceably to him. Brothers couldn't talk to their younger brother Joseph. And if it did, it wasn't peaceably, it was angry. It was always a fight. But here, Joseph kisses them, again, acknowledges them, weeps on them. And after that, they just sit down and they talk. 
Isn't that awesome? So this is a good picture of reconciliation. So this is a picture of, of Joseph extending forgiveness and bringing them in and not only just saying it, but now living in it by sitting down and they're having a conversation. You see, it took 20 years before the Lord allowed Joseph. Get this. It took 20 years before the Lord allowed Joseph to see the purpose of all of his trials. Uh, going from the favorite one to the pit, to Pharaoh's house, to the prison, to now to the palace. 20 years have passed. Ups, downs, and all arounds. But now when it all comes together, when God opens up Joseph's eyes, it is sweet. Joseph forgives because he sees the faithfulness of the Lord in his life. That's why he can forgive. He sees that everything in his life was orchestrated by God for a purpose and for this moment. You see, Joseph could have responded much different when he first saw his brothers. He could have just immediately threw them all in a pit, right? He had that power, take them to the pit, throw them in there. He could have had them all, you know, slaves, put them, made them slaves. He could, have, he could have executed them all. He could have made himself known, I am Joseph, you foolish brothers, you threw me in a pit, now I am ruling over you. Remember that dream? This being fulfilled. You don't see him throwing that in the face at all. It just says that Joseph remembered it. He doesn't do that. You see, here's the principle. He didn't walk in bitterness towards his brothers. He walked in forgiveness. Bitterness and forgiveness, those are the two contrasts of one another. This is what bitterness is. Bitterness is the feeling we get when others hurt us and sin against us. We, 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 know, we, we know the emotion of bitterness, don't we? We all know the emotion of bitterness. It's personal. It's personal because it hurts. <clears throat> and because it's personal, we, we, we justify bitterness in our own lives. We, we, we justify it. Not, not only do we justify it, but let's be honest in here. We enjoy being bitter, don't we? we? We enjoy it because it validates what has happened to us. It validates that someone has sinned against us, so we almost enjoy it. We even think we deserve to be bitter. We might even think we have the right to be bitter. But here's the thing. The Bible, Scripture, God's Word, gives us no right. It doesn't give us that latitude. Ephesians 4 says this, get rid of all bitterness. Hebrews 12 says this, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up and causes trouble and defiles many. This is a massive statement right here. Did you get that? Let me say it again. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. Bitter people can miss the grace of God in their life. Massive statement. Again, the opposite of bitterness is forgiveness because Ephesians 4 says, get rid of bitterness. Then it goes on and says, forgiving one another. That's the remedy of bitterness is forgiveness. Therefore, you could define forgiveness as this. Forgiveness could be defined as the action of the will not to walk in bitterness against someone else. Forgiveness could be defined as the action of the will not to walk in bitterness against someone else. This is exactly what we see Joseph do. He had every right to be bitter, but he chose instead to walk in forgiveness. Because he understood, again, this was God's will for him in his life. 
Again, God opens up the veil, the invisible hand that was directing Joseph's life through all this. God opens the veil to let him see that it was God behind the whole situation. He says it three times in this section, Genesis 45. He says in verse 5, verse 7, and verse 8. Listen, verse 5. God sent me before you to preserve life. Verse 7. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant. Verse 8. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. But God. What an incredible statement. Joseph's foundation for extending forgiveness as he sees the faithfulness of God in his life. He sees that God has orchestrated these seasons, these difficult situations in his life. What he's saying is not to, he's not celebrating the pain and the hurt that he had. It says in the hurt and the pain that he had, God was working and directing this. We're going to see this next week in particular, so come back next week for part two of this, because it's, it's powerful stuff. But again, this is what the foundation of Joseph's forgiveness was, was God's faithfulness. He saw the invisible hand of providence working in his life now. And again, we see God working on Joseph's heart way before his brothers were preparing him for this moment. God was working on his heart, preparing him for this moment. Years later, you have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 41. At the end of Genesis chapter 41, we see that Joseph has two kids, two boys, right? And he names, he names his oldest son a great name, a great name. You know what he names him? He names him Amnesia. Amnesia. Genesis 41, 51. Joseph's firstborn son, he called actually Manasseh. But listen to what the definition of Manasseh is. For God has made me forget all my hardships. That's why he named his kid. God has made me forget all my hardships and all my father's house. Manasseh, amnesia. God was working on Joseph's heart through his own sons. What Manasseh does is he, it, it, Joseph has, has moved on. He forgot. He's, he's not looking at the past. He's moving on and focusing on the future to what the Lord will have in store for him. He's not dwelling on the past and saying, woe is me. Every time he sees his son, that's a reminder His son is a reminder of not the past, but the future and the hope that he has in the future. He called himself, he called his first son Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my hardships. In my studies this past week, I I kept coming across this, this, this story of this young lady named Corey Ten Boom. Anyone familiar with that? Raise your hand. Yeah. Oh, good. A lot of you guys are. This is the first time I ever heard of this, this woman, you know? And so, um, uh, again, multiple sources. So I said, man, I got I to gotta, I gotta check this out, see if it's true. So I you know, got online and Googled and got a little biography and, and listened to her biography. And it's pretty crazy, uh, pretty incredible. They were Christians that lived in the Netherlands, and they were um, hiding Jews during World War II. Father was a watchmaker, and they had this funky house. And in this funky house, they had this hidden room in which they were available, to, uh, um, allowed to kind of hide Jews. But not only Jews, 800 total but also um, um, Nazi soldiers that dissented, that, that didn't want to participate. So they even held Nazi soldiers that disagreed with it, and, 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 and they, they saved them as well. They were betrayed by a friend, a guy named Jan Vogel. He's part of the Gestapo. So they were arrested and taken to a concentration camp, her and her sister and her family. And the, and the ladies were, were shipped off to an all-female concentration camp, so it was her and her sister that were, were shipped off there for many years. 
and of course, that's not a good place. They were mistreated. It was brutal. It was nasty. And in particular, one guard in particular was really, really nasty to her um, in this miserable situation. And, and it says that, and she says, this is her words, she grew to hate him. She grew to hate him in her heart. Well, after the war, she was released, obviously, and then she would take her story around churches and share her testimony to churches. And, and she was sharing her testimony in this, in, in this church, and afterwards people would come up and, you know, say, man, that's an incredible testimony, and the Lord's favored, thank you. And then all of a sudden, this, this guy comes up, and she looks in their eyes, into this guy's eyes, and it was, that, it was that prison guard. It was that prison guard that was absolutely brutal to her and her sister. He said he became a Christian, and he says, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me the, the, the way I treated you? And then this is how she writes it. And just listen to the words, because forgiveness is hard. It's not easy. It's counterintuitive. I mean, uh, we're not discounting Joseph's pain when his brothers threw him in the pit. That's in the text. It says that he begged him, begged him. He cried out. Sin hurts. But listen, that we want to get past our feelings of that and get into forgiveness. This is, this is how she describes it. It's, so, it's just so good. She said, I stood there with coldness clutching my heart. But I know, this is a huge statement, but I know that the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Did you get that? Her, her first initial response to this man was not like, oh, yay, happy and merry and joy. It was a coldness. She was flooded with the memories of what this man did to them, how he treated them. And it said that coldness clutched her heart. Bitterness clutched her heart. But I know that the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. I pray Jesus help me. Listen, listen to what she did. How she did it. Woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me and I experienced an incredible thing. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arms and sprang into our clutched hands. Then this warm reconciliation seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you. I forgive you, brother. I cried with my whole heart. And for a moment, for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. She goes on to say this, I have never known the love of God so intensely as I did in that moment. That's the power of forgiveness. Through all the pain, through all the bitterness, all those feelings, forgiveness triumphs. The act of her will, empowered by Jesus, triumphs. Because at the heart of God's love is forgiveness. At the heart of God's love is forgiveness. That's why she felt the love of God so strongly. Remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross and people were mocking him and dividing up his clothes and spitting on him? He, he didn't get bitter. What did he say? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. You see, forgiveness is the way of the cross. Forgiveness is the way of God's love. This is what Jesus has done for me. 
This is what Jesus has done for you. We were the ones sinning against him, and yet he didn't get bitter. He forgave. He gave his life as as a substitute for you and for me. Therefore, we should walk in the power in which he has freed us and given us, in the power of forgiveness. Again, forgiveness is hard. It's difficult. When, when people sin against us, it hurts. And, and it's hard to forgive when they ask for forgiveness. Again, we, we talked about the coldness clutching her heart. But we need to press through in the power of the Spirit, being obedient to God's Word in this process so that we can experience the love of God. And we can experience the power of forgiveness. This is how she ends that little section I just read. Corey Ten Boom ends it with this sentence. To forgive is to set a prisoner free. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that that prisoner is you. Do you get that? To forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that that prisoner is you. Because if you walk in bitterness, you are going to be paralyzed and you're going to be in prison of your own emotions. But when you offer forgiveness, you feel the love and the power of God channeling through you and you will be free. So let us take a look at Joseph Corey Ten Boom, the love of God and the forgiveness of Christ. And first, let's receive it in our own hearts, in our own minds. Jesus has, has, has lived and died for you. If you haven't received Christ, today is the day to receive His forgiveness. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can earn or, or merit His forgiveness. It's, it's freely given to you by what He's done for you. And you can be freed of all your bitterness and all the evil that's happening. You can take that evil and wickedness that's happened in your heart and He's going to transform it for your good. You might not know now. It might be 20 years now, just like it was for Joseph, but He will reveal that to you. I've seen it in my own life and many of you have experienced it in your own. Walk in the forgiveness and love of God. Because, as it says in Hebrews, we don't want to be agents that miss the grace of God. We want to be agents. We want to be a people that walk in the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story of forgiveness. Lord, there's more to come next week. Just powerful truths of your word. And Lord, as we see these examples, we, our goal is not to, to be like Joseph. Our goal is to be like Jesus. That is our desire. That's whom we want to model our life about. And thank you for, again, Joseph's story and Corey Ten Boone to give us examples that we can, just as them, mere humans, walk in the love and forgiveness of God no matter what has happened to us. Lord, we know it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But I pray that each one of us does work on our own soul if we're holding bitterness and unforgiveness against someone. May we offer our, our, our cold hand out, knowing that the will can overcome our heart's temperature because we have the Spirit of God in us and the love of Jesus and His forgiveness. Amen.